This is a Negotiate X podcast, show number 21. I could share with folks a lot of my parroting failures, but this has actually been a parroting success. And I really think the key to it is my wife and I didn't dictate to them any of the terms. They put them in for themselves and they've chosen to kind of live into live into the agreement, which is really important. So let me get back to some of the keys, the key things effective mediators do. They have to help protect the parties from themselves, right? They can't, you're trying to help protect parties from from hurting themselves. You have to find a way to help the parties treat each other with respect, you know, treat them as they would want to be treated and really be able to, you know, manage whatever hurt has occurred. So there can be, you know, some healing and resolution. I think those were some of the keys to, you know, what my wife and I were able to do with, uh, with our kids. And even with some of the conversations we had with folks in Afghanistan, some of that, some of that same sort of work. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Welcome to the Negotiate X podcast. I am your co-founder and co-host, Nolan Martin. And with me today is my co-founder and co-host, as per the usual, Aram Denisian. Aram, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, Nolan. I've I've tried to change up my background a little bit. I'm getting feedback that on the videos, people can only see me from the head up, and I don't have much of a neck, so so I'm trying to take a step back from the camera. We'll see we'll see what we think of that. I mean, it's definitely is a step up. I'll give you that. Today, <laughs> I wanted to talk about mediation. This is the question that we do often get as far as what is mediation, what is the difference between mediation and negotiation, and, and basically what's the difference. So, Aram, let's start this off. Mediation, what is it? Yeah, so what is mediation? So Chris Moore wrote a book called uh, The Mediation Process, which tends to be one of the, the lead texts on, on mediation in it. One of the things that I use when I teach the concept is this uh, spectrum of conflict management resolution approaches. And so the spectrum really goes from high likelihood of a win-win solution down to kind of a decreased uh, likelihood of a win-win, increasing the chances of a win-lose sort of outcome. And as you go down that spectrum, you you increase in coercion. So you would expect things like problem-solving, negotiation, and mediation kind of end on the places where there's less coercion, greater chance for a win-win. That's where mediation. So it's a step up from negotiation, but we haven't gotten to you know arbitration or even litigation yet. And it's interesting. Some places in the U.S., mediation is required from the court systems before things go to litigation. The definition of mediation is a voluntary, confidential, and informal process by which a neutral, impartial third party facilitates a dialogue between two parties in conflict to help them resolve their dispute. And while that sounds like a lot, the way I approach mediation is it is just a facilitated negotiation. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the key there. So especially when we talk about moving on the conflict scale, you have a negotiation, which is basically two parties that are able to work it out amongst themselves. And then we have mediation where the parties were not able to work it out by themselves. And now 
you're stepping in as kind of the middle man or, or woman in this case. So yeah, I definitely think that the important part here is to kind of talk about the process. Like how is the mediation process different than what we talk about sometimes for a negotiation? Yeah, so it can be very informal. Like we talk about with negotiation, there are informal negotiations and so in informal mediations as well. Every day at the workplace, we are likely mediating between you know, co-workers who may have a very minor dispute. If you are a parent, good chance you are conducting informal mediations between, you know, battling children. And, and, then, and then as it gets to be more formal, right, in the case of maybe a divorce and the court requires an attempt at mediation before it goes before the court, or, you know, if we talk about different union-related mediation events that can happen in the workplace and different things that are happening that require a formal mediation process, then there's actually, actually is a process. And it's important, it is important in the same way that we talk about the negotiation process and the role of preparation and then getting to the table and setting the agenda and, and kind of how you negotiate and then getting to the end and kind of assessing how you did and, and reviewing. Well, mediation is the same way. And so real quickly, I just as I lay it out for what is kind of the mediation process, you obviously do some pre-work. There's some need to reach out to the parties involved. Again, oftentimes it's just two parties, but it could be more, right? I mean, obviously we can mediate between more than just two parties. You're doing that to build some initial understanding of the problem as the mediator to help build some rapport and trust between you and the parties involved that they're going to trust you to kind of manage this process well. Then you're going to come to the mediation table. You're going to open up the mediation by introducing yourself, making sure the goal for that mediation, whether it's occurring kind of a singular day or over time, is clear. Clarify the process that you're going to follow and that this process is completely voluntary and it's going to remain confidential. Be sure that you clarify what your role is, whether or not you're going to offer legal advice. Typically, mediators don't. Many mediators are not legal professionals, although some can be. That you're going to facilitate a discussion. You're going to try to lead them down a joint problem-solving path. You invite them to participate, take a role in that. You establish some ground rules and you invite any questions. And then from that opening... Then you go into things that are going to sound a lot like what we do in negotiation, right? You're going to hear from the parties. What are the issues? What are their concerns? What are the causes of the issues? You're going to use that to help establish an agenda. So it's a great place to get some alignment between the parties involved up front. What are the topics that we need to discuss based on uh, understanding of the issues? Then you'll dig deep into the concerns, those things we call interest, prioritize interest for the parties. Oftentimes it's helpful to record that work visually for, for the parties involved to see. You're going to help them generate options and really you're going to allow them to do that and for them to refine rather than offering your own. As needed in that process of pulling out concerns, you might caucus with both or again, if it's more than all parties, in which the caucus is a key tool of the mediator, which is to meet privately. So we're going to step out of the room, go to another private room and just talk about any concerns uh, that can be really helpful. We'll talk about that as a tip for success. And the advice there is like caucus with one party, typically to caucus with both parties so that it, everything always wants to appear fair and even. And then as we move forward, we can start drafting a, that agreement. And so that's kind of the general process. Now, kind of something that you brought up he there is, or at least an example of what I think I'd like to share, maybe it's helpful for some of our leaders out there is, you know, so in my military career, one of my last more significant jobs I had was as a company commander. So as a company commander, it means that I have about 130 give or take soldiers underneath me and about three to four platoons. So in an organization where there's, 
you know, three or four different groups, there's a bunch of leaders, a lot of type A individuals, there is going to be conflict. And me as the commander and with my right-hand man, my first sergeant, we don't always want to get involved in that conflict. So even this, you know, directly correlates over to the business world as a branch manager or anything like that. Like, there's just conflict that you want to be resolved at the lower levels. So this is where the concept of mediation really comes into play because one, I don't want to set the precedent that I'm going to try and resolve all of the conflicts that occur within my organization. It's just not the business that I'm trying to get into. I want to empower them, my junior leaders, to be able to figure out their own issues and resolve them. So at the beginning of our relationship, when I first took over, I did this kind of mediation. I would take the kind of role where I'd, where I'd bring them in, understand the issues, and kind of get them to work it out amongst themselves. But also to kind of stomp it out there to be like, hey, in the future, I will not be getting involved in this. Like, I don't want to make platoon issues, you know, small group issues, big company issues. And and that's kind of an example of mediation. Is that kind of the same thing that we're talking about here? Yeah, I, I so much of it is when, you know, when parties are in conflict, it, it really comes back to communication and just a breakdown and, and they're talking past each other. You know, you have, you know, biological responses occurring, you know, people are getting, you know, an amygdala hijacked sort of event where they're being emotionally triggered. And so it's just very difficult for them to hear each other. And so a mediator can kind of help kind of, you know, reset that and just help get them to a, a different place. And I think what you're describing is a good example of that. I'll share an example too. I, I remember being a 25-year-old platoon leader. So I was a lieutenant very early in my career, about a year and a half into my career. And I had one of my sergeants who was 10 years older than me come up and just say, hey, sir, you know, would you be willing to mediate a conversation between myself and my wife? And I said, I was like, uh, tell me a little more. And because, because <laughs> I, I am, sign up I, for I, that one. I'm, I'm single, I'm 25 infantry and I have no idea, uh, what it is you're asking me to do. And he, and, and what was nice what was the compliment there was, he said, Hey, you know, my wife's met you at a couple events. I trust you. She trusts you. We're having some issues. And we were just recognized that we can't seem to kind of talk through these things on our own. Would you be willing just to help facilitate the conversation? And so without having really any skill other than maybe some really care for, for this person and, and for his family and maybe an ability to ask some good questions and listen, that's really all I did. Incredibly informal. And they were able to really, you know, at some point I just kind of sat back and they had a totally different conversation than what I imagine they'd been having for several months just by having a third party present. And so I think going back to your example, Nolan, it's just kind of resetting the norms of how we're trying to resolve conflict. Yeah. So I definitely think that understanding mediation and kind of how it falls on the spectrum when you're talking about conflict management and negotiations, I think it's always important to understand this is an option as a leader that, you know, during a negotiation, you know, you're kind of taking a side to get you some sort of outcome. Sort of outcome Aram. And Aram, Correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, but with the mediation, with mediation you're, you're taking, taking the neutral, neutral like, like you're trying to have, trying two, to have two or more groups trying to figure it out on their own. 
So it's definitely a powerful tool to that use, you as a leader um, gets to use to really, yeah. kind, to really of, kind of to kind knock everything out, out knock, all, knock the all the conflicts out, out early. early. And, and so, so I think it's just important, important to get that buy-in. Buy yeah, you hit, you hit on a key there, Nolan. So as we think, and we'll start talking maybe a little bit about what effective mediators do, neutrality and the appearance of being neutral is incredibly important. Both parties, or if again, if there's more... The parties involved need to take some ownership of the problem and they have to trust that you're just going to manage the process for them and that you aren't trying to drive them towards a particular outcome. And so that could be, in my case, I, I suppose the thing I had the most concern with was would the spouse of the soldier truly see me as, as neutral? Unfortunately, because I, you know, obviously I work with him every day, I'm his you know, I'm his platoon leader. Fortunately, though, she knew me well enough, and I tried to reassure that from the get-go. So that's that is really important. We, as a as a mediator, you're taking a step back, and you're not part of the negotiation, trying to negotiate an outcome for yourself. You're just trying to help them kind of get to their own agreement. Yeah. So now, now I think let's go ahead and kind of shift this a little bit and talk about as you brought up. What do good mediators do? So we've hit on two. So one is maintain that that uh, stance of neutrality. Another is to listen and really listen really well. That's actually more important than trying to be thinking about, oh, what solutions could they come to? But listen and be able to create that sort of form for dialogue and allow them to come to their own solutions. There's just so many inputs coming in as you're listening to both sides' perspectives that the ability to hear and then be able to reframe because again part of the initial problem that these parties have is they're talking past each other not hearing each other so the hope is that a mediator can potentially reframe what one party is saying so that the other party maybe hears it differently than they've been saying it and so summarization skills can be really helpful i want to check in with what we've heard and to be able to summarize that now you both have said some great things I want to ensure that we're hearing each other, that you've heard each other, and be able to, again, kind of go down this path of some summary and some some reframing, you know, when someone's frustrated, be able to say, it sounds like you're frustrated, Nolan, because, or sounds like what's really important to you is this, and you're saying it versus the other side is saying it, and they both get to hear that again. Those things are really important around communication and listening. Yeah, I think so. You just kind of jogged my memory here, and it's completely not the educational response that I'm sure you're coming up with but kind of reminds me of like my mom she used to call it the stupid kid questions so like whenever we were in italy because i lived in italy for a few years i lived in germany for a few years she would always be like hey hey nolan go you know because i'm nine or ten go go up and ask you know do you have to do i really have to pay for to use the bathroom or you know some other stupid kid question and so i think as the mediator you're kind of hashing out those you may be asking the stupid questions to be able to really understand what one of the parties is trying to say so that you save the other party from having to ask about it or you mm -hmm. know, put the other person on defense or basically you're being viewed as neutral because you're asking the questions to really be able to facilitate the process. So I don't know if that applies, but it's definitely something I just kind of thought of. It does. Yeah, it does. It certainly aligns with places where, like when I was, you know, deployed to Afghanistan, where we just wanted the parties to resolve some issues they had. And this could have been, you know, some government parties. And so we just wanted to have them like, have them have a different conversation. That, that would have been our success. And me being able to be the person asking those questions and being wrong in my understanding was much better because 
because it took it took that off of each other and that them having to do that. I'll tell you, I know we'll get back into other you know, tips for being successful as you do this. But we moved to New Hampshire about two years ago and my oldest two daughters, you know, share a room and they're on kind of the other side of the house from us. And, and so they kind of had, you know, a little more independence than what they've had. And anyways, they they have very different personalities. One would prefer to stay up late. The other prefers to get up early. When it comes to room cleanliness, I have one who is everything is dress right, dress in order, organize, you know, books organized alphabetically. And the other is kind of, you know, take the clothes off and wherever, <laughs> where, wherever the clothes land, that's where the clothes belong. A free spirit. Uh, a very free spirit. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's very sort of different personalities and it, it really started to come to a head after just being here for a few weeks. And so my wife and I decided, Hey, you know, could we try to put into practice some of these skills that I, I supposedly have, but, but seems so hard to practice sometimes. <laughs> so we, we, we sat the two down and we, we really kind of walked through as silly as it might seem and sound to some of the listeners on the listening. We actually sat them down and said, Hey, let's go through this. You know, what are your concerns? What are the major issues? Do you see other solutions other than just kind of, you know, bickering or fighting or yelling? Could you imagine uh, what would this look like in success? And then being able to play back for them what they're saying and what's amazing is all of a sudden they're like, well, that doesn't sound so unreasonable, right? <laughs> it doesn't sound so unreasonable that maybe I could pick up, you know, my, my sweater after I've taken it off and, and just throw it on a hanger so that the you know, room's not constantly becoming a disaster. Maybe, you know, it doesn't sound so unreasonable that if someone's trying to sleep, that I don't have to have the overhead light on. I can have a lower light. And so it's, again, I think a key piece for a mediator is to just create that forum for dialogue and everything you're doing is very intentional around around doing that. You said that you made it to New Hampshire two years ago. So so how has the last two years been for them? Oh, yeah, good question, right? Because you want to know if it was a success. So we actually ended up with a multi-page agreement. They came to all the terms, believe it or not. We had them sign it. And to this day, it's working. I can share with folks a lot of my parenting failures, but this has actually been a parenting success. And I really think the key to it is my wife and I didn't dictate to them any of the terms. They put them in for themselves and they've chosen to kind of live into live into the agreement, which is really important. So let me get back to some of the keys, the key things effective mediators do. They have to help protect the parties from themselves, right? They can't, you're trying to help protect parties from from hurting themselves. You have to find a way to help the parties treat each other with respect, you know, treat them as they would want to be treated and really be able to, you know, manage whatever hurt has occurred. So there can be, you know, some healing and resolution. I think those were some of the keys to, you know, what my wife and I were able to do with, uh, with our kids. And even with some of the conversations we had with folks in Afghanistan, some of that, some of that same sort of work. Yeah. So one thing that I think is pretty important is that as we start to talk more and more about the differences between mediation and negotiation, we're also starting to see kind of where you, as the negotiator, you've built this framework of how to negotiate, how to be an effective negotiator. You can kind of see now by remaining neutral that you're still coaching the process. And although we've only talked about the differences between mediation and negotiation, 
I think that we're also trying to start to see how they are similar in many ways. I mean, does does that make sense at all? Yeah. So ownership of process, you will be you'll be more effective mediating if if you establish ground rules up front and then you own that process th- throughout. So what does that require? One, you probably want to get really well prepared before you do this. There's a golden opportunity. As my friend Jeannie Franklin, who is a very skilled, much more knowledgeable uh, person and mediator than I am. She's in Virginia and she, she's been a longtime mediator will say there's a golden opportunity to lay the foundation for productive conversations in preparation. You got to do that well. You've got a, a good mediator is going to have to, as they manage that process, be very unselfish and humble and continue to keep people come bring let's come back on track. They need to be able to know how to use things like the caucus to take a break when you need to take a break and talk to individuals so they can kind of protect themselves and, and not feel embarrassed. That will help build credibility, which is so, again, the mediator has to be able to maintain that. You can't can't appear biased. Uh, the parties must be very comfortable with their mediator. You've got to elicit enrollment from the get-go around the agenda and the issues. And that that comes back to process. Because when, when we start to get off track and the mediation will undoubtedly get off track at some point, you got to be able to remind, hey, here's what we said we were going to do. And I think that you have to just have some really good instincts when it comes around being able to listen and learn and have a genuine interest in people and respect people to do this well too. Yeah. So now I think it's a good opportunity for us to jump into the action items. You know, the whole point of Negotiate X is to elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. And although we're talking about mediation, I think that's definitely applicable to understand how these same skills that we learned about being a negotiator apply to mediation. And I just spoke about that, but Aram, what are some key takeaways for our listeners to be better at understanding mediation? Yeah, so you will mediate some disagreement at some point. It's not a question of if, it is It is just a matter of when you will. And so as you're doing that, be patient, be unbiased, listen really well, and manage the process. And then the other piece that I would add is you know, where there's an opportunity to get prepared, use that opportunity to get to know the parties and their concerns and for them to get to know you. And, and you're going to be you're going to be that much more successful for it. Yeah, awesome. So I think my key takeaway is that you as a leader need to understand that a mediation tool is definitely a tool that's that's in your backpack. So what I'm trying to say here is you don't always want to be the one that has to make the decision. You want to empower your subordinate leaders to be able to come to some agreement. So if you need to help them understand how they can communicate and how they can work this out amongst each other in your organization, then that's the kind of role that you should take. But don't let this be a habit to where they aren't starting to catch on that they need to work this out at their level. So definitely learn how to apply the skill because it's definitely a skill and constantly work to improve the organization all the time. I think that's kind of the goal there. We always kind of talk about, and what you have learned in your military career, you know, every day you're trying to improve the organization to leave it better than how you got it. So with that, thank you for listening to the Negotiate X podcast. I greatly appreciate it. I do want to kind of put in a few plugs here. One is, 
If you're not on our LinkedIn company page, please go ahead and follow us now. So that's where we put out unique content like infographics, short videos, etc. that we obviously can't share during the video podcast or if you're listening during the podcast. The infographics are going to help you visualize some of the concepts that we teach. So be sure to follow us there. And then the YouTube channel. This is a place where you get to see the snippets. If you don't want to listen to the entire podcast, this is where we basically highlight specific sections of the show that may be beneficial to you and your organization. You can easily share this with leaders in your company to help them become better negotiators. So I greatly appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. If you have any questions you want us to cover, you can send them to team at negotiatex.com and we'll be sure to cover them in future episodes. And with that, I will see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.